Some of you, as you were walking in, heard me say it's a prime number year. Haven't had one of those since 2019, so always nice to get a little change up. Um, It's also the season of New Year's resolutions. I think since 2019, my New Year's resolution, so this would be, what, four years going now, has been to be more disciplined. So there's a certain irony to the fact that I'm up here talking about mastering the restart with a spiritual discipline, right, talking about that. And I never understood why it was so hard for me to be disciplined, because it was like four years running and I just kept like, I literally just kept failing at the things I was trying to remain structured in. And then my first year of SALT staff, I worked for SALT here, we took the Gallup Strengths Finder test, 34 strengths. So if you get to that bottom end, that's just a straight up weakness. They're just putting a positive spin on it. My 34th strength was discipline out of 34. So if you guys are coming in here and you feel like Bible reading has been hard to get a grip on, I think you've come to the right place. I might be your favorite person to hear talk about this because I feel like the Lord's gotten to show me a lot of things through it. Um, So I've had to master the restart a ton of times, like get going in Bible reading a ton of times. And even, even some of the more disciplined people that I know that are in this room or that are in my life, pretty much all of them have had to, at some point, like they found themselves drifting in their discipline of Bible reading and have had to restart, right? And so there's kind of this, this like pattern that we have of starting things and eventually not doing them anymore and needing to kind of like begin again, right? This happens all the time in so many things. And Bible reading is definitely one of those big ones for the Christian. And as I was kind of journaling about it in my, as I was studying this text, I've kind of was asking the question of, well, why, why is that? Why is it that we find so often that we need to, with something like this that we know is good for us, to begin again, um, to restart? It's like we kind of fade out of it a little bit. And I think, I think what happens is we're motivated to do things that are inherently good, right? Like that kind of like starts us off. It's like, this is a good thing, like diet, exercise, any good thing, or like that's gonna be why I start doing it. But we are continually motivated by what we find value in or what we find worth our time. So I think the issue isn't that we don't know that we should be reading our Bibles or that God's word is important for us because it's his like communication with mankind. I think the issue is that we lose sight of just how valuable it is and that we lose sight of what God has for us in his word. And so I don't think that there's a better place for us to go in scripture than the Psalms, specifically Psalm 119 which is also known as the love letter to the law, because essentially what it is, is the psalmist is praising God's word for 176 verses. And if you're nervous, don't worry, we're not gonna read all 176 verses this morning. I'll spare you the time. But the cool thing about Psalm 119, if you're wondering, is it's broken up into 22 sections. It's called an acrostic. So like in the original Hebrew, each line, like each verse in each section would start with the same letter which is pretty cool. That's not important for, the, for what we're going over in the text, but if you want a fun fact about Psalm 119, there you go. So we're gonna look at four of those sections this morning, and what we're gonna see is we're gonna have four reasons why we need the Bible in 2023. Four reasons why 
We need the Bible in 2023. So if you turn to Psalm 119, otherwise it'll be on the screen. We're gonna start in verses one through eight. The psalmist writes, how happy are those whose way is blameless who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. So in the first like four verses of this section, we see what we generally find to be true. And what we generally find to be true is that people who are like the most committed to Jesus, and this is in my personal experience, seem to be like pretty happy people. They seem to have a lot of joy in their heart. They seem to have a lot of just like goodness that kind of oozes out of them. They seem to sort of like have their life together, whatever that means, that kind of standard that we have of having their lives together and sort of having things figured out. These people who are close to God seem to be happy and blameless and put together, which is why it can be hard sometimes for us to come to the Bible. Because sometimes, actually I would probably say a lot of times in our lives, it's not quite put together like that. Right? And so we come to this, this text that's talking about how good God's word is and how important it is to follow it, and we kind of feel like frauds, right? So <clears throat> my freshman year of college, I've been following the Lord for a little while at this point, and um, came to college, gotten plugged into Salt Company, had this huge semester of spiritual, spiritual growth, like being intentionally discipled by people. It was amazing. But what had happened was I went back home, and my friends from high school didn't love the Lord, weren't following the Lord, and so they were gonna throw a New Year's party, and they were gonna be drinking and getting drunk at it. And their parents were gonna be there, so in my mind, I was like, well, I think this is sin, but like, you know, there's that weird, obscure law that like if your parents are around, it's like not, so it's fine. And so I was like trying to find any way that I could justify this without needing to like feel convicted about sin, which we do all the time. So I did that, went, Celebrated New Year's with my friends, got drunk, and the irony was that the next day, I was gonna get in my car to drive down to Iowa City because Salt Company, a bunch of people in Salt were gonna go to this like passion conference in Atlanta, Georgia, which is a gathering of like 60,000 college students around the nation who come together to worship Jesus. So I'm literally going from getting drunk with my high school friends to then go the next day to drive 12 hours or however long it is to get down there to worship Jesus with all these other people. And that felt horrible. Because I have five hours, I'm from Minnesota, I have five hours of driving in the car down to Iowa City feeling like I am an absolute fraud. Right? It's like, man, what am I doing? And so we feel this conviction when we're reading these first lines, that we're not always seeking him with all of our hearts that verse two talks about, don't we? It's like these people are seeking you with all of their hearts, Lord, but I know that when I look at my heart, it doesn't seem like I'm always seeking you with all of my heart. So surely then, this passage can't be for us. And I think think the psalmist relates with that tension that we might feel 
come to a text like this because in verse 5, it seems as though he's saying, I know that this is how it's supposed to be. Right, God? If only my heart was committed to your ways, then I wouldn't feel the shame that I'm feeling. He's like, I know this is what I want, but God, I got to admit that my heart is not committed in this way, and Lord, I want it to be. So reason number one why we need the Bible in 2023 is that it gives grace to the sinner. It gives grace to the sinner, because when we look at passages like this, and when we look at the entirety of the Bible, what you will find is that Scripture is for the broken. Scripture is for the sinners, the people who have fallen short and know that they have. It's not for the perfect, not for the people who have it all put together as any of us ever did. But what we, what we know about sin is that sin when it entrenches itself in our hearts, it distorts our desires so that we don't want what God wants, right? All of a sudden, we start finding ourselves wanting things that are contrary to God's will for our lives and for human flourishing, and what we know contributes to the brokenness of the world. And the psalmist recognizes this in his heart. It's why he's feeling the shame. He's like, God, if only I wasn't like this, then I wouldn't feel ashamed when I come to you. But what is his response? In light of feeling the conviction of sin, in light of knowing that his heart isn't where he wants it to be, look at verse 7. In verse 7, he says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. When I learn your righteous judgments, Lord, I will praise you. What the psalmist sees is that the key to experiencing what the first four verses are describing, this happiness, this blamelessness, this joy in the Lord, what it's describing is in him crying out to the Lord and turning to him in his word. Right? Because if he wants to experience this blessed life, if he wants to experience the joy of having his desires in line with what God wants so that it's no longer this like conviction that he's feeling in his heart, but like just running fully in the direction of the Lord, that his heart would be committed to him, then God has to actually come in and change his heart to make it an upright one. And the way that the psalmist seems to experience God doing this is through his word. So where you would think we would find conviction and a reason to turn away from the Lord, it's actually our Father inviting us in to change our desires, to see as good what he sees as good. And what's amazing about this is that in every other area of life, when we experience failure, it's up, for us to, it's up to us to figure out how to make it right. It's like, you messed up, you got to make it right. But God's word actually seems to be telling us here the complete opposite, that it changes our hearts into upright hearts so that you want what he wants, so that you find joy in what he finds joy in, so that you hate what God hates. As we spend time with him in his word, in the Bible, God slowly starts to change our hearts to just love him more and enjoy what he enjoys more. The opening to Psalm 119 is saying that scripture is for sinners who want to experience their king, change their hearts by showing them even more of himself. It's for every single one of us in this room, right? Coming into 2023. 
But then, <clears throat> so we know that now at least. So you continue on and you're like, all right, maybe it's not so much that I'm feeling this really heavy conviction of sin right now that's keeping me from delighting in God's word. Maybe it's something like that I can't control. In May of 2018, so this was just after my sophomore year of college, my mom died from cancer. And so I moved back home for the summer, and I just like spent time kind of dealing with that, processing through that. And then I came back to Iowa City for my junior year of college in August. And one of the things that was super hard was that Fall and Salt Company is like this huge, like, rally the troops. Let's go and, like, sprint out to the campus and get as many people as we come to, like, come and worship the Lord and bring people to Christ and all these things. So it's like this rah, rah, like, go get them type of year. The issue was that it felt like both of my legs had just been broken a few months earlier. And so it didn't actually feel like I was able to run because every time I would try to take a step to run, it felt like I was just falling on my face because I didn't need to have like a burden added to an already burdensome life. What I needed was Jesus to just be there. And so for some of us in this room, 2023 is already starting with or it's going to bring a lot of hardship. And we don't know that. Like we don't know what will come but for a lot of us in this room, we know that there's going to be moments like that where it feels like our legs have been broken. And so many of us have a, have a view of Scripture that it's simply a book of rules trying to add another burden to the already burdensome life that we're feeling. But then you continue in Psalm 119, and we're in verses 25 through 32 here. And I think we see the psalmist sort of have a different, different view of the Bible here. So the psalmist continues, he says, my life is down in the dust. Give me life through your word. I told you about my life and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Help me understand the meaning of your precepts so that I can meditate on your wonders. Lord, I am weary from grief. Strengthen me through your word. Keep me from the way of deceit and graciously give me your instruction. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set your ordinances before me. I cling to your decrees. Lord, do not put me to shame. I pursue the way of your commands, for you broaden my understanding. Reason number two that we need the Bible in 2023 is that it gives comfort to the grieving. It gives comfort to the weary heart. The psalmist here, he's heavily grieved. He's down in the dust. He's weary from grief. He's weak. And he recognizes in that opening line that the God who created all of creation by his word is the very same God who now can give him life through that word. And what was, in verse 2, he talks about, Lord, I told you about my life and you answered me. As he's crying out his griefs to the Lord. And what was the way that God answered him? It was through his, his word. It was through the Bible through his statutes, through his precepts, through what God had given him, as he's down in the dust, the thing he's looking for life in is right here. The psalmist finds his life 
in God's word. The desire for the psalmist in his grief was not that he would know what spiritual disciplines to work on next, but that he would meditate on the wonders of God. Verse 27 says that. And so as his heart is down in the dust, as it's feeling so heavy, so burdened, he's like, God, I want to think about you and be amazed. Because if everything else around me is going at 100 miles an hour, Lord, I know that you are right here. And you're inviting me to yourself. He was given life through God's word. He was strengthened through God's word. Our God has given his word for the grieving so that they can spend time with their father. So they can spend time with their savior and their friend. And what do we encounter when we open God's word? Right? In our grief, in the sorrows, and any general hardship that we go through in our lives, that we go through in 2023, whatever that is for you, what do we see? We open up the Bible and we see a God who weeps in Jesus. We see a Savior, a friend, who's acquainted with our griefs. We don't find some distant God like every other religion in the world tells us but we actually find a super near king in Jesus. And so God doesn't just like stifle our suffering and our hardships. He actually meets us in them and he cares about us in them. He doesn't tell us to just get over it. And we need that, don't we? Because what do you feel in hardship? You feel lonely, you feel isolated, You feel like nobody could possibly understand, even if you talk to people who have been through similar experiences, it feels like, man, this entire world around me doesn't get what's going on in my life. And when you feel isolated and lonely, there's never a time when you're more confused. Right, it's like I was talking to my dad over Christmas And he was saying, he had kind of, this was just like a general principle, not obviously a biblical one. But he was saying that he doesn't think that anybody should make a major life decision for like two years after a super heavy grief that they go through. Because of how uncertain you feel about everything. Because your whole world's been rocked. Your whole worldview has been changed. There's never a time when we're more confused and more easily swayed towards things that seek to destroy us than when grief comes. Because like when everything feels unsettled, we need to, we feel like we need to grasp after control. And the way we can do that is just by like following these false promises of comfort that the world gives us. But verse 29, the psalmist finds that God, as he's comforting him, he leads him away from deceit, from false comfort, from the things that seek to kill and destroy him through scripture. As he spends time with his God, he's being led away from these things that hate him. And here's what I love. So I was reading a commentary, like an old commentary on this. It had like an older translation of the NIV. And the way it translated verse 32, which I thought was so cool, it says, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. In his grief, in his sorrow, in being in the dust, in seeking the Lord in his word, he finds freedom. 
And then obviously in the CSB, it translates it as, Lord, you've broadened my understanding. He finds freedom in understanding who his God is. When everything else is shaken, he just needs to see his father. And that's what God's word does for us. The greatest thing that we can do in grief is turn to the one who knows our grief. And the way that he shows his heart for us is through the Bible. The way that he does that is through his word. But life doesn't stop in that suffering, right? It's like we're comforted by God's word, but also it's like after your daily devotion and after you've been seeking him, you have to still go to work. You still have people to feed. You still have things to do. The water heater goes out in your house, whatever it is. Like the life just continues happening around you. So how do we make decisions when it feels like our world has been rocked then? Right? Because if our whole worldview has just been totally messed up, what do we do when, we feel, when it feels like our world's been rocked? Or, for a lot of you in this room, you might not go through some super intense suffering in 2023. I hope that none of you do. But what probably will happen is maybe like a bunch of like paper cuts, like little things that slowly chip away at you, the mundane parts of life, where it just feels like you need to do something to like make your life exciting. I, uh, like, what about the general decisions we need guidance on? I think whenever I, uh, whenever I hear, it seems like whenever I hear sermons about God's guidance in our lives, it's always like the illustration is always, what if you have multiple job offers on the table? And I'm only 24. I spend a lot of my time with college students and that doesn't seem to be an issue that I ever see college students encountering is like multiple job offers. It's like, oh, I have no job offers and I'm trying to move to this place and I have no way of paying for anything, for any living expenses, right? And I would guess that's probably not exclusive to college students in this room. So what if you have no job offers? What do you do then? When life seems uncertain around you, what What about where your family's gonna move or the conversation you need to have with your spouse or your family or your friend that you don't wanna have and you're trying to figure out how to have that conversation? We're constantly trying to make the right decisions to live rightly and for the Christian, how much more are we trying to figure out what decisions are honoring to God? Lord, how do I live in a way that's honoring to you? And the psalmist has something to say about that too. So if you look Verse 105, we're jumping ahead a little bit here. We're gonna be in verses 105 to 112. He continues, he says, your word, Lord, is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I have solemnly sworn to keep your righteous judgments. I am severely afflicted. Lord, give me life according to your word. Lord, please accept my free will offerings of praise and teach me your judgments. My life is constantly in danger. Yet I do not forget your instruction. The wicked have set a trap for me, but I have not wandered from your precepts. I have your decrees as a heritage forever. Indeed, they are the joy of my heart. I am resolved to obey your statutes to the very end. We sort of have this idea that when things are uncertain in our lives, the biggest thing we just need is clarity. It's like, Lord, I wouldn't be anxious about this if I just knew how it was gonna work out. Right? It's like, I don't need to even know all the steps. I just need to know that I'm going to make it to the other side. If I have clarity on that, where I'm going to pop out, God, that's what I want. 
and you'll give me peace if I have that. But we can't, <clears throat> we can't worship clarity as though that's where our hope is. In 2017, I had the pleasure of getting to run a marathon. It was crazy. It was very painful. I ran the Grandma's Marathon in Duluth, Minnesota. The unique thing about the Grandma's Marathon is that it's right on the edge of Lake Superior. And when you start the race on a clear day, you can see the finish line from the very beginning. So you know where you're going. And the idea is that that would help you out. But the issue is that then for four hours or however long it's taking you to run, you are looking at the finish line. It seems like you're not getting any closer to it. So it actually makes it harder because you start being like, when am I going to get there? My legs are dying. I'm hitting a wall. It's mile 18. I have six miles left to go. And it's still just the same distance away it was the whole time, it seems like. And that's what we do so often when we want clarity. It's like, God, I just want to know that I'm going to like get out on this other side. And it's like, that actually wouldn't help you out. Because the issue when you're running a marathon and the issue when you're going through this life isn't to know where you're going to end up. It's to know what your step has to be right now. And so the psalmist says, Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet. And it's a light to my path. I don't need to see the whole room. I don't need to see the whole world. I don't even need to see the end of the path. But God, I do need to see what's right in front of me. And God, your word does that for me. We don't need to know how everything's going to play out in 2023. We just need Jesus to guide our next steps into ways that are honoring to him. The hope of the psalmist in his affliction and the danger that he faced and the uncertainty that he's in is to experience life through the words of his steady father. And why is that actually his hope? Why is his hope in abiding in the Lord rather than the immediate deliverance from the unknown that he's facing? The darkness, the unknown, the affliction, the mundane, even being in the presence of wicked people who seek to take his life, every single one of those things is temporary. But look at verse 111. The psalmist says that God's word is forever. They are the heritage and the joy of his heart forever. You want to know what's true? The suffering that every single one of us in this, in this room is in, the mundane that every single one of us in this room is in, will at some point end. But God's word is eternal. It goes on forever. So what the psalmist recognizes is, God, I don't need to fix my gaze on what is going to end. What I need to fix my gaze on is the thing that is forever and has proven to be the joy of my heart. God, I need to fix my gaze on what's actually going to last. And that's your word. Forever. So he resolves to remain steadfast in God's word. And we might be wandering in this life, in the unknown, right, in the darkness, trying to figure out what we're, what we're trying to do and what those next steps are. But what we can't do is wander away from God's word. Because we need it. Every single day we need it. Every day. And what happens when God's word is our delight? When our gaze is so fixed on him 
and who he is and what he's told us, that is our greatest treasure. What does that look like practically? And for as we're landing the plane here, we're gonna be at verse 161 through 168. If you guys wanna flip there with me. The psalmist continues. He says, princes have persecuted me without cause, but my heart fears only your word. I rejoice over your promise like one who finds vast treasure. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your instruction. I praise you seven times a day for your righteous judgments. Abundant peace belongs to those who love your instruction. Nothing makes them stumble. Lord, I hope for your salvation, and I carry out your commands. I obey your decrees, and I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and decrees for all my ways are before you. Reason number four, we need God's word, why we need the Bible in 2023, is that it gives joy to the follower. It gives joy to the Christian as we see his word. And look at the, look at the boldness of the psalmist in verse 161 here. He's like, princes have persecuted me. The most powerful people in the world, yeah, they hate me. And you know what? It's not enough that they hate me. They hate me for no reason. There's no cause to what they're doing. I'm just being attacked for nothing. But you know what? God, I do not fear them. Even though everyone else in the world should fear them, I do not. You know why? God, because my heart fears only your word. They can do nothing to me in the long run. God, your word is what matters. It would be like if in 2023, all religious liberty got taken away and all of a sudden the church in America started being like super heavily persecuted. You know what? We would still have every single reason to rejoice because we have our father who is for sure absolutely coming back to make a new heavens and a new earth forever. That's gonna be our hope and that's gonna be our joy. We would have every reason to rejoice so we can Join in the psalmist and saying, Lord, my heart fears only your word. And the psalmist has found that in this truth, he has abundant peace. Because he loves God's word. Even if the entire world is stumbling around him. But notice that it's not just those who know God's word. Because we know a ton of people who can recite God's word. Probably like atheist scholars who know the Bible better than any of us in this room but it's those who love God's word. Because if we don't know and love God, then the promises that are in the Bible mean absolutely nothing for us. There was a, in my high school, there would be like these posters in, in like some of the classrooms for clubs and organizations that were happening around. And I remember, I'd just become a Christian at this point, so I was still become, becoming familiar with my Bible. And one of the posters, it had like a person's favorite quote on it, and it was out of Proverbs 31. It was like, she laughs about fear of the future. That was their favorite quote. But then they said it was by some like random lady. They didn't even say it was from Proverbs 31. So they had taken this promise, this like cool thing that's in the Bible and totally removed it from all of its power, from all of the things that gives it goodness in Jesus. And that does nothing for them. This Bible is amazing, and it will give you peace and joy and comfort and guidance in everything you ever go through, but it will not do anything for you if you don't love the author of it. 
you need to love Jesus and follow him. We need to surrender our lives to him. Because for those who do love God, there is abundant peace. And not some momentary peace, but peace in abundance. It's overflowing. Because in verse 166, he says, I hope for your salvation. My hope's not in this life. My hope's not in this world. My hope is in your salvation, Lord. We have overflowing peace and joy because we're following a God who is a God of salvation. And what the psalmist at the time didn't know and what we now have the pleasure of knowing is that that salvation was ultimately manifested in God coming down to earth in Jesus Christ. As he lived the perfect life, as he went through insane amounts of suffering and temptation in his life that we couldn't even imagine, but never sinned, loved his father and loved his people. He was killed on the cross. And he rose from the dead three days later so that those who believe in him, for those who call in his name, would be delivered from wrath and hell, and that we would actually have unlimited, infinite, abundant peace and joy in this book. Because we have a God who has saved us from the things that would seek to take our joy in God's word and the things that seek to destroy us. Jesus was despised, killed, but for the joy set before him, as Hebrews 12 says, he endured the cross. And so we need God's word in 2023. And that's like obviously great. We know that. But if you're looking for like practical next steps, I just quickly wrote down three New Year's resolutions that you could do, right? As you're like leaving this room and trying to figure out how do I apply this message, New Year's resolution number one, you should commit to reading the Bible every day. Whether that's like you wake up early in the morning or you are like listening to it as you're going on your way to work or you read it before you go to bed, you should read your Bible every day. Spend time in God's word every day. And if you don't have a Bible plan, that's great. We have them. Jeff just told you about them, right? Because as we spend more time with God, we see it more clearly, who he is. And we experience the joy and peace in him way more clearly. Which leads to the second New Year's resolution, which is you should commit to Bible memory. Memorizing God's word, which admittedly, is my worst spiritual discipline. So if you guys would want to join me in that one, that would be great. Um, it's actually not as hard as you would think because here's one right now. If you did like one verse a week, right? You want to know one? Jesus wept in John 11. You have that. You already have a verse memorized. And if you meditated on that verse, because you don't just do it for the sake of having it memorized. If you actually meditated on that verse and the wonders of that verse, it would blow your mind and give you unbelievable comfort in trial, because you would see how near and good our God is to us. That's one verse. That's New Year's resolution number two. New Year's resolution number three, and this is just one that I thought about. Try journaling once a week about what you're learning in God's word. And it doesn't have to be anything crazy. You don't have to write like a whole sermon or a whole book. It could literally just be, God, I think this is so cool that you showed yourself in this way. And then just think about it. 
and write it down. And then go back and reflect on what you've been learning as the year goes on. I have a feeling you would be absolutely amazed at what God does through that. So those are three New Year's resolutions. Guys, we need God's word in 2023. Because we need Jesus in 2023. And he's given us his words to us through scripture to show us himself through the Bible. So let's be a people who like run in the direction of Jesus and who seek him with everything that we have. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, God, that it's 2023. You've brought us to another year. And Lord, there's something that's always so exciting about the unknown, not because of like, we know what's gonna happen, but just because if we know nothing else of what will happen in 2023, we do know, Lord, that we'll see you work. And we do know that you're here, that you love your people. God, that you're gonna bring people to saving faith. God, we do know that we will see you if we seek you. And so, Lord, I just pray that really practically, that all of us in this room, that we would just seek you in your word, in the Bible. And if we fail, God, if we like miss a day, if tomorrow we wake up and life gets busy and we don't read, pray that you just give us the strength to just master the restart. God, to get really good at starting again and to get really, really good at just loving you and seeking you because of what your son Jesus did for us on the cross and loving us first. So Lord, we love you and we just need you so much. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.